0: You're listening to Campus Review Radio.
1: This is Carl Treacher and I'm joined by Martin Betts. We're the founders of Headex, and our podcast explores the changing landscape of the higher education sector in association with Campus Review. Welcome to the Higher Education Experience. <music> We are another episode of HeadX. Hi Martin. Hi there Carl, how are you? Terrific. I'm going really well, how about you?
2: Yeah I'm, I'm um, very very thoughtful and reflective at the moment actually. It's been fascinating doing these last few series of, of HeadX and having so many high profile um, vice chancellors of our public universities on, on the series and hearing their stories about strategies and, and coming out of the pandemic and where they're heading with their institutions. We've We've been posing the question to many of them about um, differentiating and the and, uh, place of innovation, and we're seeing variations on that, but we, we still remain keen to see the really dramatic play that one of our universities will make to respond to the circumstances with a radically different business strategy and, and business model. I don't know if uh, similar issues are playing out of people waiting to see what steps will be made in other sectors that you work in.
1: Well, I think that the key expression or term you just used there around waiting is the is the thing that jumps out to me. There's a real clear delineation now between leaders that, are, that appear to be waiting for something. They may be waiting for a particular vaccination percentage so that business will then be enabled. Or they might be waiting for what I imagine they think is the old world to return. Uh, and so it's almost a, theoretically, I suppose, you've got a camp that are that are pitching tense in stability and still seeking stability and you've got a whole group of people on on ships that are that are um, embracing the concept of flow and i think from what i can see across many sectors it's the those the crusaders and those on the journey and the adventure of flow and what does that mean and how do we go about embracing change and getting used to embracing change so it's not crisis it's actually just a, a, an operating rhythm Uh, that are really performing well and we starting to see some really some really great performance from those brands now
2: the the analogy of waiting in our in our sector and the others that you're describing there is a little bit about introduces the concept of timing doesn't it that at what time are we going to make the adjustment from responding to the old ways of working that have been disrupted and get on with the get on with the new game in town and I think um, I I sense that times of accelerated change that we're seeing like at the moment mean that all individuals and organisations should expect themselves to change at the right time with pace and more quickly. But also maybe look at different different ships to get on, different boats to get on, as as where the competitors will come from. They they're not as likely to come with from organisations like them that they've previously competed with. It it might be new places that tomorrow's competition comes from.
1: Well, I, su- I suspect it will be. I'm a little bit more, not concerned, but I'm certainly fascinated. Isn't it a great time if you've got an interest in learning? I mean, there's so much going on. Uh, Some of the observations that that we've been seeing and and some of the things that we've been making note of is is almost a a mindset of leaders and leadership teams, and it's a sliding scale. I mean, it's not only that an organisation or their leaders have a propensity and an ability to uh, spot change and organise accordingly – but it's at what's, what rate? So I, I look at some of the tech companies that, that we've had the, the joy of working with, and it's really, there's been, in fact, none that I can think of that we haven't fully embraced um, being part of their culture. You know, the way that they go about product development, um, customer experience, it's 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 so different to the more traditional businesses, and it's so much more in line with what uh, where the world is. But the point there is that they move at a pace that is somewhat um, parallel to the way that the world's moving, just whether that be in crisis, whether it be coming out of crisis, whether it be slowing down, it could be seasonal. Um, whereas what I see is a, a sort of a sand in the gearbox a little bit with the traditional businesses that just move a bit slower. There's a, you know it's not typical bureaucracy that's the issue, but it's almost that they just don't not used to running. They're used to a, quite a slow walk and quite enjoy that.
2: Well I think that in some take in some cases, I mean our universities have celebrated the longevity and the tradition and the um, you know the the reputation built on being unchanging, so the fitness of that for our current times is 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 really um, something to to rethink i 'm sure, and you talking about tech companies i i can 't help but think that some of our current public universities will not only look for the private universities that are emerging alongside them but for tech companies and particularly edutech companies that are starting to become more prominent as they're more likely competitors for the future. And you can be sure that some of them move much more quickly. And um, it's it's good for us to have had a, a guest this week and some others that are coming up in the weeks to come from some of those other um, parts of our sector, maybe some of the more innovative parts of our sector that um, maybe have some lessons for us of where competition will come from and how we in our public universities will need to act if we're going to keep up with them.
1: Right, Why don't we have a listen?
2: Today's guest on HEDEx is Professor Alvain Lowe, who has led Torrens University as its Vice-Chancellor since the start of 2020, after having been the President of Monash, South Africa. Alvain, welcome to HEDEx.
0: Thank you very much for the opportunity.
2: So, Alvain, starting a job as a Vice-Chancellor at the time you did, in retrospect, looks like either an incredibly unfortunate piece of timing or maybe it's been one of great opportunity for you. Which of these do you see these times as having been and how has your response to the shake-up we've all seen in our sector unfolded in the year and, and a half since you commenced in the role?
0: I indeed moved into a new position but just to, to, to say that uh, it is not a new experience for me with the Australian higher education uh, environment. Uh, I've been Uh, involved with Torrance University through laureate you know for about seven years Um, and I've also been involved with Monash South Africa uh, you know which of course uh, partly owned by Monash Australia Uh, so for for about six years so um, uh, a bit of understanding and a bit of engagement with the Australian higher education system Uh, I think firstly we must understand that Moving into a new position uh, like this is always an exciting opportunity, but also bring its challenges. And we had the added weight of, of COVID. Uh, I uh, made the statement at that stage that I think this is the most dynamic induction program that I've ever seen in my life. You know, The, the fact to just move into the situation and immediately say, but all the rules that we had, uh, the, the uh, predicted stability that we had, all of a sudden we need to rethink that. So for me, firstly, it was uh, um, uh, an an interesting encounter with the ability of the system in Australia to firstly view and interpret change and be open to accommodate the dynamics around this. Secondly, I think the fact that uh, within Torrance, the the basic arrangements in the institution and the capacity that existed was a very, very productive uh, place from where to start and move into this new environment. So uh, I I must say that I was excited about the opportunity to move into new things. We were actually put in a position where we have to move certain things faster, start to do certain things in different ways quicker. And uh, that led us into a real reflection mode in terms of what are the innovative opportunities. Um, Our benefit was at that stage that, you know, 40% plus of our students were already online and uh, due to the fact that all our programs were designed for online delivery. Uh, we could move faster into this space, of course, the big shock here and the challenge is always do you have the ability to do this as a total mode of delivery. In other words, can you take the, the step into moving the online capacity further. And then the significant part of this is to ensure that your staff have the confidence to move into this space. So for that reason, you know, an important part of the initiative was to immediately start with a process of engaging those staff members that were not involved in the online environment yet, in a process to develop the capacity that will give them that confidence to innovate. And secondly, to ensure that our students have a sufficient understanding of the approach that we're going to follow. Now that rests on a very strong focus on engagement and communication, specifically between lecturer and student and institution and student. Uh, So within the context of all these things, the basic capacity we had, the opportunity that we could commit and say that we will be able to deliver on this due to the fact that we have the infrastructure, the staff capacity that we developed, plus the ability to to engage our students effectively enabled us to, to move faster, And based on all those things, it was an exciting experience.
2: I don't suppose all of our listeners will be completely familiar with the Torrens story. Can you tell us a little bit more about how it came to be a player in Australia, how it's developed since it it first admitted students in this
0: country? And and what its current trajectory had been and now is? Well, the exciting part is, I think, uh, after many years, Torrens as the first new institution in the country, I think that was a major development uh, in Australia. Uh, Secondly, the fact that we're a national university, major development, I think that that gave us an opportunity to to, to broaden our focus and the scope of our involvement significantly. Uh, In 2014, we started with 165 students in Adelaide um, and now in uh, 2020, more than 19,000 students. So in, in other words, in all respects, a very, very dynamic growth path. The important thing is that while you grow uh, at that rate, what is the business model that you put in place to accommodate that growth and not to fall into the trap of, of growing at all costs? So we had to make sure that we remain very conscious of quality and relevance and credibility in the market. And fourthly, that our graduates that leave the institution are successful. They should demonstrate you know, be a be a clear uh, uh, product of a quality learning experience. So, the 19,000 students took us a long way, you know, to, 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 to get there, but I think exciting learning in that process. And what we've learned is that through continuous innovation, it is possible to have a dynamic higher education environment. And I just want to say, you know, the, the, what we must understand in this uh, process is the whole debate between private and public institutions? You know the fact that there was always this argument that you know we focus in private higher education you know, on the, the the 20% of courses that generate the 80% income and those type of things. And we all know that uh, we all came through the public higher education system. We understand how higher education works. And the principal point here is that all these considerations in terms of facilitating growth. Providing quality education is based on the fact that we're a university. We have to meet the same regulatory requirements. We have to meet the same expectations from society, from industry in terms of our graduates, and all those dimensions must meet the requirements. So, what is important for us in this process of growth, we consistently looked at how do we differentiate our services? How do we use at that stage the laureate relationships that we had across the world? Uh, you know, and how do we bank on that to ensure what are the pos- positive learning points that we could take from there? How can we share infrastructure? How can we develop partnerships? And how do we leapfrog in terms of the development opportunities? And that enabled us to move faster, you know, than, than, than many other institutions. So the opportunity for us then in Australia was where should we focus our programs? Where should, where should we focus specifically our mode of delivery? And how should we find the balance between onshore and offshore delivery. So our focus remain very much on making sure that we have that level of flexibility. So a hybrid delivery model, which we deliver very much in a blended mode, focusing on synchronous and asynchronous delivery onshore and offshore. In other words, we need to make sure that we find the global market. So in all respect, Torrance well established. Um, We have recognition across, uh, you know, what we consider to be very important for us is that we have, uh, we're one of the top uh, 20 global online MBA qualifications that the CEO magazine saying that. We're a number one hotel management school in Asia Asia Pacific. Um, We have a strong research base, which demands credibility and and, and recognition already. Uh, After a short period of time, a growing cohort of PhD students. Um, And we were the first higher education institution in 10 years to introduce a new nursing degree. So I'm just making the point that we're not getting in there and trying to survive in this space. We moved into this space very much with the idea of an entrepreneurial, innovative perspective, and considering the requirements of effective higher education, but at the same time, acknowledging the fact that the perspective on higher education should move away from an isolated institution into an institution in partnership with society to take co responsibility for future development.
2: Well, that's powerful stuff, Alvain. It's um, a a very good articulation of the the focus on growth and on the perspective of being players in a global market. And you you hinted at it, but I wonder if I can return to it. I've posed the question to many university leaders on the Hedex podcast of whether their institutions are pursuing or will pursue a clearly differentiated strategy that they foresee would take them to new business models for our sector. Now, you've used those words a couple of times in what you just said to me, but in what ways would you say that the strategy of Torrens is differentiated from publicly funded Australian universities? And in what ways is it or will it operate more fully under a different
0: business model from others in the future
2: help me understand that specifically
0: you know this is an exciting uh, exciting discussion because if we start with the idea as i said we're a private higher education institution and i uh, clearly explained you know our commitment and understanding of the regulatory context and the broader expectations but at the same time the fact that we are self-funding at the same time, the fact that we must uh, make sure that we take full responsibility for the viability and sustainability of this, and I, I need to say something about this. You see the, the viability and sustainability is not only about the business, but it's about all those thousands of graduates that move through the system. In other words, they need to be able to understand that this institution will still be here for my grandchildren and for them for their children as well. And we will be in a position where the the qualifications will always have credibility because this institution is continuing to deliver quality education. Those things are fundamental for us. So, but as a private institution, uh, you know, maybe I can just say this, when I left public higher education to to go to private higher education, one of the questions asked of me is, what will you miss most, you know, if you move to private higher education? I said, probably that check that is coming, you know? (laughs) So so the point is that we need to understand that we need to design our business model differently. So we are very sensitive in terms of strategy. Um, What does our strategy look like? And what are the key drivers that we interpret to guide our strategy? So we understand that, you know, The the market out there, the need for higher education is for students, so we have to move into that space, but what's the message what's the value proposition that we bring. The value proposition that we bring as a higher education institution is an entrepreneurial institution continuously innovating to deliver quality learning experiences that's relevant and will ensure economic mobility social mobility based on employability and active partnership in society so. The, these principles are fundamentally important to us. So, based on that, we, our business model might look different from others because we have different business drivers that we have to meet. The critical issue, however, is that having this different, different business model doesn't mean that in any other way we do not form part of the higher education sector and we want to be an integral part of that process. Why? Because higher education is a common good, and we have to make sure that we align with the national strategy. We have to ensure that we align within the sector and develop the sector as a system, and not only develop ourselves at the cost of anything. Okay,
2: well, one thing that um, I'm—I've no idea what your answer to this is going to be, but I'm intrigued to know it. In that um, my own time in public institutions, I've been very aware of and had a lot of exposure to models of governance that apply commonly to public universities. Now, the Torrance model of governance and indeed the model of ownership are quite different. And I wonder if you can help me understand what impact they have on the way that you operate compared to your Australian competitors. And particularly, I'd be interested in your insights as to whether your governance and ownership models have allowed you to transform under the times of change that we're going through. Um, and to do so more readily than other institutions.
0: Is that a real thing? I think it is real. Effective decision-making based on clear strat- strategic direction and opportunity as a young institution is important to us. And uh, the fact that we we have to be agile, the fact that we have to move fast, the fact that we have to identify opportunity fast and effective. Um, so we do not have the position where we can, or the advantage that we can have long turnaround times uh, because long turnaround times mean that you lose and you waste your resources and you lose and you waste the opportunity to move faster on delivering quality higher education. So our agility agility towards innovation, entrepreneurship, quality, those things, critically important. Uh, What I think is important is to understand that our management model looks different. So we have a president CEO, and then we have a vice chancellor. And that enables us firstly to, to, to have a very dynamic management context in the sense that we continuously have first hand strong focus on the broader strategy, the overall institutional governance and the running of the business aspects of the organization. On the other side, you have full-time focus on the academic and the research part. We can continuously make sure that we have that day-to-day attention to this. And then the, the synergy existing between these two positions enable us today to, to, to move in a very dynamic manner, to take effective decisions to make sure that we support each other from both worlds at a continuous and linked to that, of course we have a strong executive focusing on this. Now if you link that to the fact that we have our own governing board in Australia, in other words, we have short lines of decision making, effective governance, directly linked to the executive management. And we then have our link, of course, to our owners. In the US, we have all the relationships in terms of the the NASDAQ ownership and all those things that still exists. So we have to manage those relationships. But the, the fact that we organize ourselves in a different way enables us to move faster. Plus the advantage that we have that we started off with a strategy we developed our brand around this strategy enable us in this context, you know, to grow faster.
2: That's a fascinatingly different picture of governance and executive and academic leadership than, than most other universities, isn't it? And I wonder, keeping that in mind then, and your comments earlier about being part of a wider sector, a wider sector that over, over, has oversight from a minister, and all that you said about your current levels of onshore and offshore and online activities, you, you, you will have heard, as many of us did, the, the minister talk about moving from onshore international students to more... Um, offshore and online students as an Australian system of the, of, of the future and setting some bold targets. Is, is that something that you think Torrens is particularly well-placed to respond to and lead the sector in looking at new markets for international students for
0: Australia? I do believe we are very well positioned in that space. As I mentioned earlier, our uh, relationship, you know, and uh, being a part of the Laureate uh, uh, International University Network, enabled us to function on an international basis over a long period of time and developed very uh, uh, um, sound practices around that and understanding of the international market. So like any other university or most other universities, we have a strong onshore basis, but at the same time, you know, we have a very strong offshore involvement already. And that enabled us you know, to develop our, our uh, uh, delivery models developed our our, uh, practice and approach around that uh, effectively. It enabled us to develop a whole range of partnerships internationally, which we work with, plus a well-developed international network of agents representing the institution in the market. So based on uh, the combination of our onshore experience, which we continue to grow because we believe that is important, there will always be a need for that, But at the same time, we understand that in the era of the fourth industrial revolution, the world is changing. Lifelong learning is looking different, and people are talking different in terms of skills and human development, those combinations. So how do we bring the the, the online, and let me for a moment talk distance education, you know, online delivery, uh, how do we bring those worlds together and make sure that the, the competencies we have as institution, we can scale that to an extent that we can reach much wider. And uh, our whole approach is on continuing to grow this balance between domestic and offshore, local and uh, uh, international. And our intention is to be involved globally. This this is our focus. So the minister's position of making sure that you strengthen the Australian uh, uh, base that we have here, but find your students internationally, that is absolutely our strategy. We continue to develop in both areas. We have the capacity, and we we, uh, we we always say, and we we always refer, you know, with appreciation to the the long development path that we had with Laureate and the capacity that we could develop. And for that reason, we think we can claim that we can play a leading role in that whole process. That's,
2: that's fascinating, and um, you've you've mentioned research as a private university in the australian system a couple of times in this conversation already i I, i'm not sure that i fully understand what the ability is for Torrens to participate re- in research, and the extent to which it's impacted by your status as a, a private university. But I wonder if you can help us understand what your ambition for research at Torrens is, and how you're going about realising that research vision.
0: You know, this is uh, one of the the extremely exciting parts of of my involvement with 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 Torrens. As a young institution, we um, we we're busy building our own research tradition. We are a B Corp. Uh, uh, organization in other words we committed to the idea of contributing to society and making a difference and for that reason our research serves this purpose as well that we want to make a contribution so what what are the building blocks of our uh, research approach that we then uh, execute firstly we focus very much on uh, developing research teams because as a young institution you also grow your staff profile and you have a number of, or a significant percentage of young researchers and new researchers, you know, entering this space. So you have to use the the expertise that you have well. So research teams, uh, bringing people together in research spaces, very important to us. Secondly, of course, collaboration, uh, fundamentally important to us. We want to make sure that we continuously function in networks that we contribute in networks and that we do not, do not try to repeat things that's been done already. We want to participate in leading the process in the space of collaboration. The next thing is that we focus our research well. We have four key research themes and uh, which then basically are societies in drastic change. We, we understand that if you have massive fires in Australia or you have COVID across the world or they have the fourth industrial revolution, Those things are critical in society. And we need to understand that as higher education institutions in order to contribute in that space, but we also need to assist in the understanding and development on that basis. So we moved radically beyond the, the idea of producing research reports. We also get involved in ways that we can make that difference. The second theme that we have is preparing organizations and people for change and impact in society. So, how do we support the development of organizations? How do we support the development of our students, but also the staff of our collaborating organizations to prepare them to be more uh, ready and uh, prepared to make a difference in the society and environment they function? Third thing is developing health systems and solutions, critical part, you know, of course, to ensure human well-being. And the next one is security and sustainability in the process of change. You can hear that this is wide uh you know four wide definitions but it aligns well with the with the uh, uh, sustainability goals uh and it aligns well with clear priorities worldwide so based on this we then have a clear understanding that firstly we need to drive our strategy consistently we need to make sure that we we uh, we mobilize enough further grant funding also to ensure that we, we we can enhance our activities Partnerships are indicated. Staff capacity are indicated. Driving our theme strongly, um, and of course our centres will continue to grow. We want to make sure that we continue to deliver high quality output and impact, as I referred to earlier. Uh, thought leadership important for us. Therefore, if people come to us to say, "Want to fly to the moon?" We say we probably don't fly to the moon, but we do other things well. You know, we can talk about that. Um, we have. Uh, um, uh, uh, innovation from invention. In other words, as we develop the inventions, how do we translate that into innovation and how does that lead to potential commercialization? So um, our commitment on the research is very much strategic-based, very much linked to our relationship uh, and commitment to society at large and very much based on consistent collaboration, partnership and building staff capacity.
2: That's very nice. And um, that's, you're talking very passionately there about the... Uh, complementarity of the mission for research at, at Torrens with the other parts of the mission of the university. And so I wonder if bringing the, the interview to, a, to a, a, a close there then, Alvine, that I think from having listened to you, I, I feel that I, I can predict what your answer to this last question is going to be, that with the challenges and opportunities of starting a role in what might have been the most unusual of times... Alvain, are you enjoying the challenge of being a VC in Australia right now?
0: You know, I started my, my career of, or my active career in, in the business world where, uh, where we started off with nothing and we built a network of, of, of businesses and then decided to go back into higher education. So uh, because, uh, you know, the, I, I thought of higher education as the space where we can innovate and uh, test new ideas and, 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 and really bring impact, you know, and uh, this is where I am. Uh, so uh, I'm extremely excited to be here. We, we, uh, we, me and my wife, we consider ourselves to be blessed in Australia, of course, for many circumstances, but specifically to be in the higher education environment and being part specifically of Torrance at this stage, for me is a massive privilege. And I'm so excited about the, those things that we can do now. And some of the things we move faster than what we thought may be possible. And we're busy achieving them. We're busy getting them. I mean, purely the fact that we were able to switch within about three weeks, you know, to a total delivery, a total new delivery model, and be able to do that successfully. I mean, that is extremely exciting and also rewarding. But that motivates towards just more and more and more. And I think we can achieve so much more.
2: I think you're enjoying what you're doing and not missing the certainty of that paycheck, Alvane, from listening to you. (laughs) You're perfectly right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much for joining us today on Headex, Alvane. It's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: It was uh, wonderful to talk to you. And thank you very much for the opportunity to talk again.
2: So what did you make of that then,
0: Carl?
1: Well, it was was quite interesting. Look, I don't profess to have a great understanding of uh, the, the higher education sector in its entirety, particularly when we talk about um, private institutions uh, that, uh, that operate outside of the government system. Um, so it's certainly interesting. W- what occurred to me in that was, uh, and, and before the interview, we, we spoke briefly about competitors and a new competitive angle possibly emerging into the sector. I just wonder whether it's, uh, whether it's just competitors or whether we're going to start seeing new alliances. And I suppose that's a, that's something I'd like to pick your brains on is there is there conglomerates? is there groups of very powerful entities that will come together to challenge what we currently consider to be higher education?
2: Well I think we're seeing lots of lots of evidence of um, different partnered organizations operating in the sector at present. I mean, increasingly, universities are outsourcing parts of their activities to tech companies. And I think our private universities with Torrens through Alvane there being a prime example have probably led the way in some of that. So I think that's a very real prospect, actually, that um, the future plays in our sector might come from Partnerships of organisations rather than individual universities as they currently exist.
1: And and do you think uh, vice chancellors and leaders in the sector um, believe that to be the case? And are they ready to sort of take action based on that?
2: Well, it's not what they've been used to, and they've used to been. um, They've certainly been used to being the dominant player. subcontracting as an outsourcing model some of their activities to service providers rather than being in major strategic plays with each other. I mean, the the beauty of the the Torrent story, as Alvain outlined it there, is that um, in this case, we have an Australian private university activity from a global American-owned company, that's seen a very different way of approaching global markets and brings to it a very much more of a corporate executive and governance model. It's um, it's no wonder that that perhaps is the closest we've seen so far to a differentiated strategy in some of the new business models that we've been calling for.
1: You know, I wonder, with my CEO of the Brand Institute hat on, what this is going to mean for the brands that universities have spent literally decades building um, equity around. If we're going to start seeing partnerships uh, them having to shift not just strategy but really their entire brand identity to be seen as something different, not a series of islands but something of a, a constellation, really. Um, what does that mean? How are they going to do it from a brand perspective? you know if I was faced with that myself and look we 're doing brand hierarchy and architecture all day long when it comes to brands and sub brands but here you 've got uh, it 's not a, even a merger and acquisition concept it 's a it 's a really it 's a very out of the box. Um, conceptually challenging idea to start bringing some of these these brands together with identities that may or may not necessarily blend.
2: Well, I mean, Alvain used the expression in the interview there about they had a very clear focus at Torrens in developing a brand around a strategy. So, if your strategy is one based upon partnership, then I think everyone's going to have to make their brand align with their strategy, and as we've as we've very much. Um, elaborated on in recent weeks, um, making sure that experiences then align with that brand position Um, and partnerships will be key in those strategic plays, but also in in ensuring that the experience of of students as customers are served well and aligned with that strategic um, expectations.
1: You know, Alvane talked about, as you say, uh, building the brand around the strategy. Well, the reality is that that's that's what every organisation should be doing anyway. You know, we, we sort of walk in the doors of organizations that say, look, here's our values and our purpose and vision, mission, and here's our brand identity. What's our strategy? And that's, we've already got a big big problem in front of us. You know, it's the what is our brand? What is our strategy? How do we need to start building relationships with particular audiences that determines what the identity and the, the action of the organization, organization is? So, look, I, I really like that. Uh, I liked the fact that um, they're not encumbered by uh, traditional ways of working, that they've got uh, external um, arms and legs into the organisation that will naturally challenge them and provide them with contrast and new information. They're not sort of uh, working in a sheltered workshop or um, in a you know, sheltered community. Uh, and it li- Look, I really want to look at it, I think, a little bit more uh, toward the, the digital banks outside of sector and what's happening there and whether that's you know possibly a point of reference or a, a data point that all organisations or universities should say uh, refer to as a possible challenge or development opportunity. Well,
2: interesting you talk about digital banks because um, we, we speculate on digital or hybrid universities, don't we? And we've looked at how um Our current major players might be migrating and evolving to a more online, digital, or hybrid form. The thing that I find so interesting about the Torrent story, as Alvain talks about it, is they have a really clear focus on building markets and diversified markets of students who they very much see as customers, I'm sure. But their balanced view of the growth of domestic and international students, onshore and offshore and digital students, and the chance to set those growth targets as ambitious targets from a starting point of nothing. I mean, this is a university that's less than 10 years old that started with no students, you know, eight or nine years ago, and now suddenly got to 20,000 students really quickly. It's been able to develop its programs, develop its research activities without the legacy of campuses, without the legacy of former brand reputations that might have served an institution well 20, 30 years ago that have to be evolved into a new brand for now. There's not many universities that have had the chance of creating themselves from blank sheets of paper with new strategies, with new markets and new brands over that period of time. And in many ways, we would have seen that 5, 10 years ago as a point of disadvantage if you hadn't been around for 100 years and had, you know, 2 million alumni out there. Um, you wouldn't be able to compete. Now it might be the case that it's the opposite. Not having lots of campuses, not having lots of current staff and other assets that are on, based on an old way of working could suddenly be a huge advantage. I, I mean, I don't know if what digital banks are, but I don't know if they have similarly had an advantage competing with our legacy major banks in this country by virtue of their being more agile and nimble.
1: Uh, well, they definitely have, not just in this country, but globally. Um, if we look at, I mean, let's start with the US because the population size is a is a good um, sample. You know, it's, it's estimated between 11 and 12% of all bank account holders are now with digital-only banks. And that's increasing at around 10% every five years. So next year, they expect that to be something like 15%. And um, and grow now. Now, why that's uh, the case, and I think it's a, I think that's very conservative, to be frank. Why that's the case is because uh, the legacy systems and the the challenges and the pain points for customers with banking have been around banks not understanding them, not knowing them, not keeping records effectively. Um, and yet, they yet we stay with our bank because the barriers of exit are much too difficult. You know, we've got all our accounts there to move them across can be hard. But when you look at any of the customer satisfaction surveys, both um, US or Australia, the very low sense of satisfaction with the banking sector. So for a digital bank to come in that doesn't have any of the legacy issues, it can immediately identify you as a customer and what your preferences are and your behaviors and what you're doing and then serve up. Uh, your actual your banking needs in line with that. Um, there's no wonder to me why they're performing so well, and that's that's in America. Look, in Australia, we've seen the same thing. To give you some brand examples, uh, UBank's been around for a long time now, uh, being a a NAB sponsored or NAB NAB bank. So whilst it's digital only, unfortunately they are encumbered by or with the um, the legacy systems that come with NAB. And as we know or most people know the big four, if not the big nine banks in Australia have worked tirelessly on their tech because it hasn't been keeping up. But the actual legitimate neo banks, those that have started from scratch, the the judos, the volts, the eighty six four hundreds, have performed really well because they have been <laughs> they're a tech company moving and behaving like a tech company which is entirely customer centric, um, minimal viable product, iterating to ensure customers are happy, reading the, reading the environment and then actually having to, we often hear people say, look you know, changing our business whether it be one of the banks or big insurance, traditional firms is like turning an aircraft carrier into the wind, like that's why I've heard that for decades. Whereas this isn't, this is like a catamaran just jibing immediately based on customer needs.
2: Well, the the words you're using there about banking, it's just getting my mind racing about the issues as they play out for higher education and for the experience of students and and the implications for our large public universities. And that's undoubtedly students are rapidly changing their expectations and their needs in the in the last 18 months and it's it, it, well, they're not going to go back to what their needs were before and that th- there has been a lot of brand loyalty for the old traditional university it's still a lot of influence in what parents tell you of their own experiences but parents themselves these days have had radical transformation in their own understandings of where they get services from we're all getting all of our products and services, so many of our products and services through a digital platform these days, why wouldn't that, you know, why wouldn't we see the equivalent of a digital bank happening in universities? And can our public universities or private universities of Torrent, like Torrens provide that? Or back to your earlier point, will they, will they build upon the partnerships they're starting to build with big tech or edutech companies? Or will they be actually exposed to the competition from those providers? I think... We're going to have a, a really exciting p- program of innovation in higher education in front of us. And I look forward next week in particular to hearing from one of those EduTech players um, in OES about some of the,
1: the ways that
2: they're seeing the sector and opportunities for the future.
1: Absolutely. And that's all we have time for on this episode of Headex. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, Carl.